Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John McComb. And I'm Eric Skoskowsbo. Well, guys, college football season is officially over, um, unless you're going to count the Senior Bowl and the East-West Shrine game and all of those uh, developmental uh NFL draft bowls, which, you know, we will because we live for that stuff. Um, but as far as, you know, on the field, actual competitive games, uh, that all wrapped up earlier this week with the uh, Clemson, Eric's boy, Dabo Sweeney, <laughs> Take, taking the Tigers up to a really a, just an ass whooping of Alabama. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We got a little bit of uh, hoops to talk about, but before we dive in too far, I uh, want to talk a little bit about something we have running on the website, westlawpirates.com. Uh, John, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, this amazing piece that you've been putting together for us. Yeah, so by the time this airs, the all of it, all 10 parts is going to be up online. And, you know, for Sam just alluded to the fact that um, – Chances are you, like us, are going into football withdrawal. If you're listening to this podcast, you're someone who college football, no doubt, pumps through your veins, and now you're trying to find a way to fill the hole in your life. And uh, and here we have, here's something that is going to let you come down easy, as it were. Um, it is a 10-part developmental deep dive into Northwestern football for the periods 2010 to 2017. Um, we've been teasing it for a couple of weeks, but again, by the time you guys listen to it, it will all be up there. Um, some of you have already been making your way through the different parts. We've got all the links, any individual part. It's easily navigatable. It begins with an introduction, takes you through our methodology, which we talked a little about on the pod last week. And then um, parts two through 10 just take you through um, quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, superbacks, offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, secondary, and then there's a conclusion. Um, again, it's just a ton of material. Um, and we're going to kind of skim over the top of, you know, maybe one area of it today just to give you guys a feel of, of what's going on there. But really, you can, you know, we recommend reading the the introduction and then just hit whatever position group is your fancy. There's some some wild stuff. Some things are going to match up with maybe your expectations. Some things really won't. That was one of the fun things of doing this. Um, we had, you know, just a blast putting this together, talking about it, and learning. Um, and the way that kind of data, even when the data is somewhat subjective, can open your eyes to things when you put it all together. So um, with that said, I think, you know, we don't want to go too deep into all of it because we want to get feedback. We want to get your guys' thoughts on it. And then we can really bat it down, you know, maybe next week, bat things around really in detail and people's reactions and people's thoughts and, you know, what what people thought. But I think today... Just in, in going through one particular thing and because it's something that, you know, we're recording on a Thursday, this went up fresh today. Um, and in, in the good feels department, let's say to offset the basketball talk that we're going to be doing in a little bit, um, let's just have so, a little bit of fun and talk about part eight Northwestern's linebackers, which was just, just a good time parade. Yeah. So John, I, I, I was reading through this earlier today and, and, you know, truth be told, John is being very, um, generous in uh, ascribing this work to all of us but let's let's say that <laughs> well let's, although we'll put put a pin in that because our back and forth regarding the running backs was a very key part of the process we'll go deep on that next week but, but go ahead 
fair. Um, and you've certainly bounced ideas off of it, but let's, let's be clear. Like 99% of this work has been John's effort and he's, and, and you've done an awesome job with that. Um, so I, you know, just digging into the linebackers, this was, I think arguably what you thought the best example, um, at least thus far, I know safeties are still to come, but, um, the, the best position group in terms of the development that you're able to, to kind of tease out of the data um, at the hands of, of Randy Bates. Absolutely. I mean, Randy Bates, if, if one, of the, one of the main takeaways, let's say the most melancholy part of this is uh, it's so hard to say goodbye to Randy Bates. Um, he just did an unbelievable job. And Tim McGarrigal, we have nothing but high hopes for Tim. Um, and, you know, expect the best of him. But Randy Bates from for the, the decade before he went on to become Pitt's defensive coordinator just did a phenomenal job with the linebackers. Um, we teased this last week, but just in, in kind of giving a an idea of the overall thing, we issued for each position group a cut grade and a true grade based on all the individual grades we compiled for the players. The cut grade you could basically read as the starters. It's a little bit beyond that. It's basically like if if you have a guy get banged up or you think, all right, we need X amount of guys to start, maybe a key guy or reserve, depending on how many guys are reasonably needed to play a position, right? Um, linebacker, we set the cut grade at four players. Now, you could argue Northwestern plays more than four linebackers in a given year. Sure. But understand, and here's one of the things why it's fun to look at the data on stuff like this. At any given time, we only have eight to ten linebackers on scholarship. So four guys could be half the guys. Um, and the cut grade for this group across the five, the four five-year periods. And remember, if you didn't listen last week or you need to catch up, we, we compiled all the data and grouped it by four periods. Four windows, the 2014, 2015, 2016, and 2017 windows. Each window represents, for example, the 2014 window is years 2010 through 2014 in terms, in terms of recruiting classes. In other words, five classes of guys who theoretically could all be eligible at the same time. Now, really, some guys are redshirting, some guys have graduated, but as a general rule, it's like those are the guys in that five-year period who we've given out scholarships to. Well, anyway, so, so for for the most recent year, that would include anyone we re- we've recruited since twenty thirteen, right? Exactly. Uh, and, and then for the cut grade for twenty eighteen, did you do twenty eighteen or you no, no, just twenty seventeen? We stopped it. We yeah. stopped at twenty seen just because, with the exception of Isaiah Bowser, you know, got, I mean, and yeah, yeah, got, yeah, yeah. N- guys neither have nor should be expected to play now you get some guys who step out and make an immediate in, uh, impression. With all this said, this is all a way of, of circling back to say, the cut grade for all four of our five-year windows was an A for the linebackers. That's an just, average grade of four guys is an A for every one of those years, which is just insane. Well, and just to, to make that a little more tangible for people, like the, the 2017 window... Or that, well, so you reference Anthony Walker, Petty Fisher, Nate Hall, and Joe Jones. That as... was the that was the 2016 window. So yeah, that's the... classes 2000, what, 11, 12, no, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Um, and, so, and so those guys were, you know, all played together. Um, 
No, that's not true. Patty Fisher and, and no, Walker didn't, didn't Anth- really play together. Anthony Walker had graduated, yeah. but that's because he started as a true freshman. But the fact that, but again, it's like and, we're not going to hold early. it. Right, we're not going to hold it against Northwestern's coaches that Anthony Walker. Um, well, actually, he left early. He did redshirt, but he left a year early. But we're not going to hold it against Northwestern's coaches that Anthony Walker was so flipping good that he left before his fifth year of eligibility. So for the purposes of the five-year and, window. And is now starting for a playoff team. Yes. So it's this is all a way of saying the linebackers are so good that in the particular window, five-year window that Scuzz referenced, any player who's within that window, we're crediting him for his final grade. So Blake Gallagher, as mentioned in the period, we currently have him graded as an A- minus overall. You could argue it's already an A. He had 127 flipping tackles this year um, and was not a super heavily recruited guy. And in the 2016... I, 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 think, I think that's the key part to lean in, though, because you're, you're evaluating not yes. just production, yes. but, but also recruiting oh. profile. And I oh, think that's oh, really I'm important. Just, oh, I'm just, I'm just waiting for all the PO'd emails from people being like, how did Justin Jackson not get an A+. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as I, we kind of sum up, it's like Justin Jackson gets an A because we thought he was going to be awesome. And then he was. And that's, and, I mean, an A is like, that's a fantastic grade. But yes. The... And, and, and and because the rationale here of what we're what we're trying to do with this work yes. is is not to just evaluate the production of each unit, and that's and you you referenced you know you and I kind of got back and went into the back and forth on the on the running backs of like how do we evaluate the running back coaches because th- that unit has been so productive. But point being, you're trying to benchmark this stuff from a starting point of what were expectations based on recruiting pedigree. Uh, competing offers, star rating, etc., to understand what influence are the different position coaches having exactly. on the different units, and that's and, it's a really hard thing to measure. And and I like I just think it's really cool how you've approached this. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's hard, right? And there's going to be some subjectivity to it, and that's why you know I said in the piece, trust the process um, because it's it's not going to be perfect. But if you gather all the grades up, you ought to be able to see something really good. And, and linebacker, you know, we got that great email last week asking about recruiting. And, and if anything, one of the big takeaways from linebacker is that in that position, you should be looking at the quality of the coaching the guys get once they come and Northwestern's ability to find the right guys because it's our best position group. It is. I mean, it's not runaway our best. D-line is great if you break secondary down. Safety is certainly right there. But linebacker is just minting stars. Randy Bates was just absolutely destroying for for the entire period of, of our window, 2010 through 2017. Almost none of those guys were a major recruit. I, I mean, I, I mentioned in the piece, um, Chichi Araguzo, who was recruited way back in 2010, is probably the top guy in, in terms of recruiting profile. He had a Stanford offer, a Wisconsin offer, a bunch of other offers. And he ended up being a great wildcat. But guys like Walker, um, uh, Patty Fisher, who was a, a mid-grade recruit, but no one thought he was going to be this good. Blake Gallagher, a Northeast guy. Maybe if he's from Texas, he gets more offers. But, you know, whatever, under-recruited guy. Um, and these guys all end up becoming amazing players. Um, and, you know, Walker, of course, we mentioned he's from Florida. Florida International was his best Florida offer. 
Um, that's insane. And now insanity. And now you could make the argument that he's one of the top 25, 30 players at his position in the world right now. That is an argument you could make. And Florida International was his top offer coming out of, of high school, which is crazy. That's what an A-plus looks like from our grading standpoint. It's like it's finding a right guy and then developing him in this just unbelievable way. And at linebacker, it's not just the quality, it's the level of it. We mentioned Gallagher earlier. He's on the books. He's a freshman in the 2016 window, I believe. Maybe a redshirt freshman. Um, but he had we credit him for an A-minus that year. And based on our cut line, he's below the cut line in that window with an A minus. Like Mr. 127 tackles is not getting in. And here's one of the other really interesting things that was super fun from the linebacker perspective is Joe Jones, who Sam, you know, this is uh, your heart must sing anytime I mention Joe Jones. Absolutely. Uh, um, he's blocked a punt for you this year. Um, is there a Bronco I mean, fight song that we can play right now? <laughs> no, there isn't. And I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, but Joe Jones, we gave Joe Jones an A and I, I could see people trying to make the argument that a guy who based, I mean, he started a handful of games in his career, I think maybe about five, um, and was a reserve for most of the time. How does a guy like that get an A? The answer is because he's a flipping Denver Bronco. And if Northwestern hadn't offered him a scholarship, he doesn't play FBS football. That is why Joe Jones gets an A. Because he became a very good linebacker for Northwestern. And the only reason he didn't start is because the linebacker core was so good. And he still made a real impact, um, including in bowl games. And now he's blocking punts for the Denver Broncos. he's, He's one of the special teams captains. Right. That's what an A looks like. That is a guy who is developed out of literally nothing to become an NFL football player. And it's not like he didn't contribute for Northwestern. He really contributed. So if you look at just that 2016 window, it's Anthony Walker. Uh, again, you could make the argument, one of the top 25, 30 players at the position in the world. Patty Fisher, who's on pace for 450 tackles. And Nate Hall, a two-star wide receiver who finished with 30 and a half tackles for loss in his career. And then Joe Jones. Like you, Rand, if you're Randy Bates... I don't know how you do the job better than that. It's just, it's it's perfect. I mean, people think linebackers, they think Northwestern, they think Fitz. But, I mean, Randy Bates was the man. He just created a perfect position group. And people should look and be like, recruiting's really important. It's not everything. It's finding the right guys and developing those guys um, that ultimately is going to produce a perfect position group. And that's what's happening at linebacker. So, so for all y'all listening, um, what's really cool, John has done this for every major position group. Uh, DBs are all combined, like CB and, and safety. Um, but it, I mean, it allows you to kind of compare and contrast across, uh, across position groups, you know, not just based on production, but based on development. And, and you, the other thing you've gotten here, John, is, is like a hit percentage of percentage of, of guys recruited that, that hit a certain level. The other thing I think that's fascinating that people will find really, really interesting is the difference in volume of scholarships yes. that are available at different position groups. That to me, like John, that's, that's been the most fascinating thing for me reading through this, like understanding. And I'll just throw a couple out like O-line and D-line. You recruit a lot of guys, linebacker, super back, obviously QB, like not near, like you don't have nearly as many spots, but 
like the idea that Randy Bates is is doing what he's doing and doing it consistently having only like eight to ten scholarships is even more impressive because his hit rate becomes you know so good uh, relative to to other positions and so it's so that, like you know any anybody who's who's keen on recruiting and understanding some of you know where we're ferreting out a little bit of some of the behind the scenes of how the, how the program actually operates and works here. And, um, and it's pretty cool. Yeah. And I mean, again, there's a lot here, but read the intro, pick your favorite position and just start there. Um, there's the order you can go, you can take it however you want. And let us know what you think. I mean, challenge us, uh, on, on things that maybe, you know, you disagree with maybe a ranking we've given here or there, Challenge us. Let us know. Westlawpirates at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Westlawpirates. Hit us up. You know, let, this is definitely not the end all be all. Um, you know, these are decisions that we made on, on our end. Feel free to disagree with them. Feel free to agree with them. Let us know what you think. Um, cause, you know, th- this is definitely, it, it is, it is subjective. A, a lot, a lot of these writing, rankings are subjective. And, uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on, on what you think. Absolutely. Well, there's, there's one other angle that that John, I really appreciate you put this like explicitly in writing, and I think this is probably an undercurrent to our whole podcast. Like, you you said, "quote We're not here to badmouth old players." Like, you're not as as folks as you're reading this, you're not going to see the players we gave like D's to, um, and that's on purpose because we don't we don't that's that's not fun. That's not fun for those guys. That's not fun for us. That's not the point of this. The point of this is to understand. You know how where we see um, coaches' uh, performance and development compared to other coaches' and performance, and to, to try and get a little bit, you know, a view behind the curtain. It's not about you know trying to trying to uh, microanalyze and critique eighteen to twenty year twenty two year old dudes. Right. Exactly. We're, we're not here for negative reinforcement. You know, we're all about right. you know highlighting the positives and acknowledging that. Right. And it's like, and with the negatives, sometimes like you can't talk about a position and address a negative aspect of it without talking about certain guys or certain groups of guys, but we're not going to name those guys. Um, you can look through and you can have an idea of roughly, you know, who we might be talking about or a group of guys or such and such, but it's like, it's by and large, you know, 95% of these guys, whether they, you know, if the grade is a higher or low grade still gave their all for the program, whether it worked out or not. And it's like those guys, like we're not having anyone Google their names and have their name come up attached to one of these posts, you know, with us talking about how they got a bad grade. That's like, just like Sam said, that's not the point. The point is to get an overall look at the overall position groups. So you can compare and start getting, and like Scuzz said, like you start looking at things like, when, you know, Bob Hefner had six to seven scholarships to work with total and Adam Cushing had 20. And then you can start to compare performance relative to those kind of things. It's a fascinating thing to fascinating thing to look at. But anyway, we'll go deeper on some of the specific things, specific things that were fascinating for us next week. But until then, it's all up. Take a look uh, and dive deep. So let's briefly uh, talk about the end of college football season. Um, you know, obviously the national championship game happened. Clemson took, you know, took it to Alabama. Um, but before we, we talk about that game, basically, you know, we haven't really recapped, uh, the rest of bowl season after our game. 
with without going through every single game because it's just way too far in the past. I mean, there's plenty of other venues uh, to analyze the the Tax Slayer Bowl or the 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 Peach Bowl or the Belk Bowl. You want to do that? You, you absolutely can, and you know, feel free to hit us up. We'll we'll talk about Arkansas State Nevada and you know how that game went to overtime and Nevada won. Great, fantastic. But um, as, as sort of a more of a holistic sense, thoughts on the end of bowl season before the national championship. So I'll start with this. Um, at the end of the night on New Year's Eve, or I'll say in the in the wee early hours of New Year's Day. As I was celebrating a Northwestern victory, I was, you know, several sheets to the wind, uh, thanks to my, my favorite scotch, Old Pulteney. Beautiful scotch. Beautiful scotch. I, Not a sponsor, look, but feel free to hit us up. It, yeah, seriously. Um, and I looked up, you know, where I stood in the Westlot Pirates Bowl Challenge. <laughs> I was doing pretty good. I, I was in the top five as you know, in the, in the 95 percentile kind of range. And then through the course of the following day and then Monday, I ended up in the 65th percentile. <laughs> I don't think I got, I got one game, right? One game, right? That's the model and me combined. Um, and it was Ohio state over Washington and it was a hell of a lot closer than it should have been. So my my general takeaway is that it was the most shocking New Year's Day and probably national championship game that we've ever had. Yeah, I'll let me pile onto that and say um, I finished third to last in the Westlot Pirates pool. Um, I'm going to throw some shade here. Our friend Gary from Winning Cures Everything <laughs> finished <laughs> last in the pool. <laughs> Um, but in lumping Gary and I together, poor, poor, poor Gary and his Crimson Tide. I mean, like, yeah, you know, we're kicking yeah, a horse I'm, while he's I'm down. Not, yeah. I'm not trying to kick a horse while it's down, even though it's the tide, which I mean, come on, but second, <laughs> second to last was my daughter who turned four two days after the holiday bowl. Um, and just in, in evaluating my performance and Gary's performance, it's important that you listeners know my daughter's picks were made entirely based on what animal she would like more in any particular matchup. And that was good enough for her to beat Gary and almost beat me. So, Did, did she pick the tiger over the elephant? Uh, no, oh no, she loves her some elephants. Oh, the okay. elephant was supposed to beat the tiger. So we all, all three of us definitely took that fat L on, uh, uh, on the Alabama game. But, uh, but yeah. Not, uh, not, not of us being covered in glory. Although Sam, I will say you had a heck of a run for a long time. Yeah. And no, I, I definitely started off real strong and then, you know, faded late. But, uh, yeah, at, at one point, I think after the middle of the second week, I was sitting at like second place in the solid verbal pool, which is just shocking. You know, how many thousands of people are in that pool. And I was sitting in number two, uh, which is pretty amazing. Um, did not finish there, but, uh, yeah, no, I had, a, had a solid start, but like, like you said, I mean, that, that January 1st, I mean, Texas over Georgia, um, uh, I think we all had Ohio state over Washington, but, uh, yeah, Washington made that run late. Um, you know, LSU over central Florida. I, I, I think, you know, I, I was figured that, uh, UCF was going to keep that ball rolling. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think we all thought Penn State was going to beat Kentucky. 
Uh, I know I I didn't think Iowa was going to be better than Mississippi State. So no, no, not at all. Yeah, these these were games I was quite confident were going the other way. I was I was just going to ask you guys though. Can you guys remind me? So um, five of the other six teams in the Big Ten West won their bowl games. Yes. How much? How many of those teams did we beat? I'm trying to remember. Can you guys re- can you guys refresh my memory? Every single one. Every one. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so anyone throwing shade at the Big Ten West? A lot of nine win spreads going up there. But still, uh, and we Big we Ten, knocked all Big those Ten teams West, off. Five, Big Ten West five and one. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And guess who's a, a twenty five to one. How so I'm not again, I'm not someone who understands gambling nor oh. economics. What is the instrument by which I short Nebraska at twenty five to one to win the national championship? <laughs> is it just that I go to a bar in Lincoln, find a bunch of drunk Nebraska people and are like, I bet you they don't win the national title. That's, no, that, that's, that's you, probably you, you go to Lincoln, you take action at twenty five to one, and you walk <laughs> away with all of their money. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Oh my god. I just just amazing. Can can we get Herb Street to weigh in on whether or not they're going to beat Iowa this year? Because that's just <laughs> and Wisconsin. <laughs> oh, oh my god. My god. Um, yeah, I just like those. I mean, when you when you step back and look at it, the results on New Year's Day. You know, Mississippi State had a couple of terrible turnovers. Um, I don't know what happened to Penn State early, but it's also very plausible they could have won that game, save for another. Another late game James Franklin brain fart. Um, Where have we heard Jordan, that one before? We, yeah, we, yeah, right. Um, we've talked a lot about teams that weren't motivated coming into bowl season, and there were a lot of questions around uh, Georgia, and then and then Bevo tried to kill Uga before the game. <laughs> that which, set the tone, yeah. which seemed like an omen, and then it was an omen. Um, what, what, you know, what was you, it? You highlighted this. Um, Kirby Smart taking everything, learning everything from Nick Saban, including no showing his uh, sugar bowl. In Constellation Sugar Bowls. Yeah, that was the quote from Stu Mandel's uh, bowl, bowl season preview column uh, on The Athletic. And, uh, and I, thought it, I thought it was spot on. I retweeted it at the time, and it's, it's become kind of prophetic. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, like Washington, Ohio State, like whatever um, – Urban Meyer's last game, and I think they they thought they had it won, and then Washington made a little bit of a run there. LSU UCF ended like forty to thirty two. I I was listening I, to our podcast where he talked about how this was going to be like a LSU I, was going to muck this game up and slow it down, and not was, what happened. I was so disappointed by this game, not because UCF lost, although obviously I wanted UCF to win, but. It was just such a gross game. I swear, like, half of these teams got kicked out of this game. That's what it felt like. Yeah, like, it was It was it just was ugly. cheap shots and guys getting ejected and just, like, personal fouls. It was just neither of these teams covered themselves in glory in this game. Let's just put it that way. And then, you know, we get to the national championship game, which... I, I think I've heard three different podcasts describe it as the one outcome they thought was impossible, a Clemson blowout. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't see that. I, I thought Clemson could win a close one. I thought Bama could blow them out. I thought Bama could win a close one. Did not see Clemson winning in a blowout. 
Sam, I just I wanted to get your thoughts on this because I feel like like everyone everyone is really touting Trevor Lawrence right now um, and really just talking like his you know what doesn't stink. But in 35 years, he's going to make some really questionable personnel decisions. And uh, I feel like we we need to get him off his high horse. Okay, I, 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 are you saying he's the next coming of John Elway? What's, I mean, what's happening here? Yeah, I, I, I'm not quite picking was, up what you're laying I was down. Just, but. I was just looking at. I was just looking at. It's the. I think it's the hair for me. It's the hair, and that he is just this golden boy. Like, has there? I mean, has there been a guy? To me, I like. To me, he just is Elway. Except he's already won. What like as many games in his first year as Elway won in half of his career at Stanford. But I don't know. I just think it's funny. Like to me, he, I can't remember a guy who was more golden boy. Can't miss Andrew Luck. right down to the hair. Yeah. Luck would be similar who, and he was Stanford too. Yeah. I um, mean, luck was the second, but he did but like, but like Lawrence has like the central casting aspect to it. Mainly because of the hair, for like the same, re- you know, Elway. I mean, just... if, if you want to say that he has the same kind of horse face that Elway does, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll allow that. Sure. Uh, uh, no. Well, I mean, I, 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 I will I, say, like this was this game featured two young QBs. Um, now, probably now, the a num- the num- probably the number one picks of the 2020 and 2021 draft. Right. Well, po- I mean, possibly, possibly. right? Like. And and two freshmen that have won national championships in back to back years, which is which is crazy to think. But what was so clear in this game as it progressed was that pressure really disrupted Tua Tungavaloa uh, and Alabama's offense, and Trevor Lawrence was effing unflappable. Um, he, and then I mean, he was a little then- squirrely early. But I mean, he he got over that real fast. And just watching him in the post game, it's just one of those things where it's like a guy who, like, watching him in the post game, his whole like demeanor to me seemed to be like, well, you know, this is just what I've expected to happen. And it's like <laughs> I, you know, like the guy was like wherever he's from, he's like an absolute god, number one overall recruit in the nation as a quarterback, comes in and immediately wins the national title. Like I'm sure, like this is the script for him. Like there's no there's no Cinderella here. Um, which mean, he, if, he, so he steps on campus, and Hunter Johnson's like, "Yep, I'm out." Yeah, uh, like Kelly Bryant's like, right? "Yep, I'm out." Yeah. I, so Adam Rittenberg tweeted um, a question mark uh, like late in the game. He said, "You know, happiest fan base tonight. Fan bases tonight. Number one, Clemson. Number two, Notre Dame? Question mark being that Notre Dame outplayed Alabama." Uh, against Clemson, like certainly defensively, maybe not on offense, but certainly defensively. And I responded and said, I don't know. Northwestern fans are pretty damn happy with Hunter Johnson right now, given that, like, I think there's been this underlying question of, well, if he couldn't make it at Clemson, he couldn't beat out this freshman, like he didn't want to try, you know, and we've, we've debunked that on, on this, uh, on this program a number of times that's that's an absurd take to take when you understand the type of of guy that that was coming in in trevor lawrence but now you have like irrefutable proof of like how good this dude is and of course he left of course kelly bryant is gone like i it's 
it gets me pretty excited about next season. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. No, yeah. Very I, hate, I hate everything else about Clemson, but this gets me pretty excited about next season. Oh, for sure. I mean, and, and Hunter Johnson is the man and we have all the right, every right to expect that he, that he will be. It's funny as good as Lawrence was, the guy who made himself the most money in this game was Justin Ross. Uh-huh. Now he's going to, now he's going to have to Ooh, wait boy. a couple of years to collect that, but whoa, Nelly. And that's a guy who was a massive recruit and, I mean, he was Calvin Johnson out there. Like, I can't even – what a monster. The two one-handed catches. Um, and it's just it's just funny to watch a guy physically dominating Alabama, and that is what he was doing out there. He was just manhandling their secondary. Um, and, and that's the thing, right, is, is everyone talks about, like you said, there's no one expected this result in this game, but – Clemson has recruited at the same level as Alabama for the past oh, like yeah. four, four or five years. Like this is all four and five star guys, and it, you know they're Alabama's been number one, but it's been Alabama and Clemson in recruiting for for a while now. And it's it was weird that Alabama just got so mired down. And I mean, I think if you look at the yardage, it's actually closer. But they got stuck in the red zone a couple times, um, made a couple poor decisions, and like lead blocking the kicker on a fake yeah. field goal. Oh. You know what's into funny? a field goal safe defense. You know what's well, not, funny not just a Those... field goal safe defense, but a field goal safe defense that had nine guys in the box. <clears throat> but well, but you know the funny thing is, you know who's super glad that that kicker was lead blocking the two offensive linemen who got obliterated by one defensive tackle on that play. Because that's the guy who blew up the play, and now everyone's talking, well, you know, the kicker was lead blocking. It's, yeah, well, the kicker didn't get dominated by one half of a player. Um, (laughs) Christian Wilkins and the rest of that Clemson D-line had their way all night. And then you think that arguably, right, the best member of the line, potentially. uh, I mean, they're all incredible. They're all going to be first-round picks. But Dexter Lawrence wasn't playing in the game. It's ludicrous. And yeah, they were. I mean, just the amount of the embarrassment of riches. But yeah, I mean, you know, at the same time, everyone wants to make this about, you know, oh, is this the change? Now that you're getting all these pieces, is this the changing of the guard? Is it Clemson's time now? And is it like, and I'm just like, look, it's these two teams just beating the crap out of everybody else and then like playing each other again. Like, we'll let you know when that changes, but. Right now, both of them still have probably the two best quarterbacks in the country and a million five-star guys. They're probably, you know, like the odds on is that they run this back next year and maybe it goes another way. Um, The one big thing I will say, though, is for Clemson, this is a perfect storm for them because it's like it's I'd say the the best matchup is the USC glory days where it wasn't just that USC was absolutely dominating, it's that UCLA was down, Oregon hadn't arrived yet. Yeah. Washington hadn't been anything for a long time, and USC just owned the West Coast. And Clemson, Florida State, like like who's Clemson's like who's they who are they fearing in that conference right now? Miami's down, Miami's sorting things out, Florida State is down. Um like who is the second they seem, best? They they seem to have the most trouble with Syracuse and Penn. right. I was gonna say it's yeah, like when they have to go it's north Dino in November. In, it's Dino up in the orange in the uh, in the uh, what's carrier it called dome. the carrier dome. Yeah, that's I, it. I saw, I saw a tweet from Dan Wolken earlier tonight that I thought was really really spot on, and he said, "Remember back in you know on January 9th of twenty fifteen." 
when Ohio State has just won uh, the national championship, unexpectedly so, they're bringing basically everyone back the next year, including uh, JT Barrett, who everybody perceived to still be a better QB than Cardell Jones. They're recruiting at, you know, the highest level in the sport. They've got Urban Meyer, who's now won three national titles across two different schools. And everyone was like, man, how many more is he going to get in the next, like, is he going to get four of the next five? Like, what, like what's it going to be? And he got back to the playoff once and got blown out. The undercurrent of Dabo hatred in what you're saying right now, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, no, no. I So Wilkins, Wilkins' second point was that Nick Saban has – like Nick Saban has continued to get back to the title game year after year after year after year after year with Alabama oh, right. and yeah, reloads right. year after year after year. And it is, it is easy – to look at another program that is recruiting at that level and say, oh, they'll be able to do what Nick Saban is doing. And so no, now Dabo's done it twice. He's gotten to the title game three times. He's won it twice in the last four years. He's, he's, he's got like eight senior defensive linemen that are all going to go be, you know, NFL draft picks. So um, there's, you know, th- there are some things here and, I, and I'm, and I'm, I will rant and rave about Dabo if you'd like me to. Um, in, in I, I don't know if you have time for that. I mean, that, that, but, we, we only have I, a certain amount. We, we can have all the time hours. in the world, and it still wouldn't be as much time as Tom Rinaldi gave Dabo oh. after that game. Oh. God, God damn it. <laughs> um, so I, it, but point being, like, it is, it is not as easy as it sounds. And, and frankly, coming off last year, seeing what Tua, Tua did – and then watching him during this season, I was like, "Crap, Alabama's not going to lose until he graduates." Um, and then they just did, and then and then they got blown out by thirty. So, it's, I think you're right that it is probably going to be these two teams right back there next year. But the margins can be thinner than I think we sometimes we sometimes think. Now, now that being said, there's five or six teams that that. That can make this thing right. I mean, the That's Hunter, about it. the Hunter, John, so. the Hunter Johnson revenge tour is no doubt going to captivate America next year. What you know? So what I find hey. what I find interesting is you know every year, Bama not only has to reload their uh, their players, but how many coaches leave Alabama after every year. I mean, I think that's really interesting because, you know, just this year, I mean, their offensive coordinator just left to go to Michigan. Uh, who was he, he was there there for just one year and, and now is up in Michigan. Like Bama's bringing in new coaches at least three or four a year because everyone is going is getting uh, promoted, going on to other things. So you know they oh. and 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 then there's Brent Venables, yeah, defensive coordinator at Clemson, who continues to not take head coaching jobs. Who could have any job he wanted, any if, job if, he wanted. If Brent Venables, in the aftermath of this game, had been like, I'm throwing my hat into the NFL ranks, there's a pretty decent chance he's an NFL head coach. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Cliff um, Kingsbury's an like, NFL head coach. I know. Zach Taylor's going to be an NFL coach. Um, so if I'd say Brent Venables uh, it would definitely have a shot. But yeah, I mean, it's a testament to Saban, though. I mean, God, just, the, just that man's not changing, and that seems to – that and all the recruits. But, man, they play like it. But, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, 
it's funny because the result wasn't what anyone was expecting, but at the same time, these two teams have met in the playoff every year the past four years, and three times it was for the national championship. So it's like it's not like there's any shift in the power base here. These are your kings for sure. And what's interesting, and I, I guess I didn't really know, yeah, I didn't know this until you know it was brought up. The number one seed going into the playoff has never won. Oh, that, interesting. That is pretty interesting. Um, and I think, you Florida, know. Florida State wasn't number one uh, the year they won it? Not, not in no, the playoff. No, that's the B. You're going back to the BCS. That, that's BCS. Talking I'm about talking about the, in the playoffs. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going yeah, back yeah, to yeah, BCS. In, 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 yes, the, in right. the playoff. Yeah. No, it is it is pretty interesting. And Clemson is your first 15-0 championship champion, and they did it as a two seed. So, yeah. Well, Clemson is not the first 15-0 Oh, right. There's like. You know, we got to go back to the eighteen hundreds. Um, that's right. Yeah, Penn, Penn in eighteen ninety seven. I think went people throw shade. People throw shade about that team, but they pointed on the graphic that they played all those games in like thirty days. I was like, that's that's a grind. I got I got to with res- like respect. no helmets, right? Re- respect exactly. It's like thirty days, fifteen games in leather helmets. Respect. Speaking- Speaking of ancient record books, um, one addendum to a comment that we made on our last podcast, and that was around that this was you know four straight seasons of Northwestern uh, winning records for the first time ever. That's not precisely true. There was uh, there were four straight seasons in the 30s, from I think 1928 to 1931, where Northwestern had winning records, and then again they had like something in the 1890s. They had you know. Uh, a, a four or five year win streak, but so, um, sorry, I apologize. It, I did not go that far back into the history books <laughs> in, in the modern era, which I think right. you know. Ge- generally, when we're talking about history of Northwestern, we're we're not going much before the the auto Well, we're really, we're not going before the autogram era. Let's just say that like our Northwestern commentary begins with autogram. <laughs> That's a good starting place. Yeah, but but I mean, still, and that shouldn't throw. I mean, again, it's like Era, Era Parsegan didn't do it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> he, you know, interestingly, um, our Era won th- had three winning seasons in a row, and that was enough for Notre Dame to be like, "Get over here." <laughs> the only other Northwestern coach who has done that is Fitz, who's right. done it twice now. That's bananas! Wow. Yep. That's a Hollywood story, Dabo. <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> well, before we send Eric's blood pressure through the stratosphere, let's go ahead and uh, move off of college football for now. Um, yeah, we'll definitely have more to t- more to talk about later, but uh, we do need to talk a little hoops. Um, I-, I hate to bring it down because. Things have not gone quite to plan uh, as far as the Chris Collins' boys have uh, wanted so far. Um, you know, this season, 10-6, and 1-4 uh, in conference. And, you know, as, as we recorded on Thursday, last night against Iowa, 73-63 loss to an Iowa team missing their best player. Um I, and and a and a nail biter against Illinois yeah. over the weekend, uh, who's who's horrific. Yeah, um, four and twelve year. on the year is Illinois, and you know it, it took a, a last second uh, go ahead shot for uh, for us to beat them, and they they almost like they had a sh- chance to win that just rimmed off at the buzzer. So things are not going the way we had hoped as far as uh, as far as basketball is concerned. Uh, on the men's side, 
I'm, I'm interested to to hear your takes on it. I, I think the one thing I've, I've noticed, and you know, this even goes back into last year, but you've got uh, Vic Law and Derek Pardon are in foul trouble every single game. Yeah, well, and you you can't do that if you're planning on playing five guys for the entirety of the game, which is what we end up doing a lot of the time. Um, I mean, five guys and change, but I mean, you look, it's, it's, it's law, pardon, Ryan Taylor, AJ Turner, and Anthony Gaines game in and game out. And it's, it's those guys. And I think I remember it was the end of the Illinois game or whatever. And it's like, you have that. And then you have a situation where like, bizarrely, I think like Ryan Greer was out there late. And I was like, man, I mean, his minutes, this guy isn't even logging minutes, but sometimes there's times where like given on a certain matchup, he has to be out there and he's kind of not ready to be out there yet. It's a weird situation. And it's, it's, it's a combination of two things. One, those five guys, they're all, they're all good basketball players. Taylor. I mean, I continue to be for a guy that is going to be blinking. You miss him in terms of his Northwestern career. Um, is he's, it's one of the prettiest jump shots I've ever seen by a player wearing purple. It's just insane. Um, and, and again, it's going to be blinking. You miss him with this guy. And it's, we know what law can do. We know what pardon can do. Um, and, you know, Gaines is a quality guard and Turner is a quality small forward. It's five talented guys that A, need help and B, should almost never be on the court at the same time. And the AJ Turner as primary ball handler thing is just weird and it feels forced and it just doesn't work. And it's like, it works to the extent that it does because those five guys are great basketball players. But you can just see us trying to force a square peg into a round hole. And one, now that we've gotten the conference play, it's just such an unforgiving conference this year. And I mean, we were lucky to get that Illinois win. And it's, it's tough to see where the wins are going to come from going forward. Well, I think, I think the book on Northwestern now at this stage is if you can contain Vic Law and keep him, you know, under 15 points, you've got a really good shot to beat Northwestern. He only scored uh, 13 against both Illinois and Iowa. And Sam, to your point, that he's in foul, tr- foul trouble. A couple of years ago, he he was in foul trouble as well because he's the primary defensive stopper for this team. But two years ago, the scoring load was being driven by BMAC and Scotty Lindsay. Now, Law is also having to drive the scoring load, and I, I, I think it's just too much on one player, and there's no there's no margin for error because the moment he starts to get in foul trouble, you have to pull him out, and then the offense really starts to stagnate. Um, teams have started to clamp down on Derek Pardon uh, now. He only had 10 against Illinois, 6 against Iowa. Yeah, uh, and and then I, I, I do think that the, the point guard piece is is problematic and we talked about it coming to the season we were hoping Greer could get you know more minutes he played 15 against Illinois uh, only had one turnover it's pretty good um but didn't did not play very much against Iowa only had eight minutes on the court against Iowa and you know we saw we've, we're seeing a little bit more of Miller cop uh, we saw a bit more of Barrett Benson in these two games but those guys are like they're barely scratching double digit minutes and it's it's just not enough we we need more from the bench and there's a part of me that wishes they just say all right you know what we're going to we're going to 
change this rotation and see what see what happens. Let's let's limit Law to you know 30 minutes a game and get the absolute max we can out of him and not put him in as much risk for foul trouble and and see see where the chips fall. But right now the team has too few options and when when one of those options starts to get in any kind of of trouble uh, or or the shot isn't falling or whatever it's it's a mess there's another kind of intangible thing too that i don't know if you guys feel the same way but i, I wouldn't say it's kind of like a bummer but it's something that is it's greatly exacerbated by the lack of wins and yes we know some of these games have been close but even the final season you know, even last year when the wheels kind of came off, um, but you know, the couple seasons before that, there was the tournament year and then the years leading up when it was known that we were making that push, right? Um, those were guys who for Northwestern fans all became household names, right? The whole group of guys. And this year you have a team that is Vic Law and Derek Pardon, but you've got a couple of transfers um, Anthony Gaines, who his, you know, his minutes have gone way up, but he's not someone that people know to the extent that they knew a Bryant McIntosh. And then all of these younger guys. Now you have this, you know, it's this really ballyhooed recruiting class, right? I mean, it's, it's major. You have all these true freshmen who, you know, we may get really big things out of them. But I do feel like for a lot of Northwestern fans, there's a feeling not only that this team isn't winning, but that we don't know this team the way we've known Northwestern teams of the past couple of years and of the Chris Collins era. And that's certainly no fault of the players, but it is something that I feel like it's it's throwing up another barrier to everyone jumping on board with this team. And now if this team was just winning, I think a lot of people wouldn't care. But right now you have people being like, well, I know Vic Law, I know Derek Pardon, but I don't really know the rest of these guys, and the team isn't really winning. And obviously, again, it's like you're rooting for Northwestern, but it is just some a slight intangible thing that I feel like I have noticed the presence of um, as you know conference play has started. And to that point, I mean... You know, we, we knew Vic Law, Bryant McIntosh, because they played right off the bat. I mean, they played True. as freshmen. And Fair we're, point. We're not, I mean, we've, Miller Kopp has started every game, but he's only getting like 10 minutes a game. You know, we're not seeing Pete Nance. We're not, you know, these young guys aren't getting run. Right. And it's, and, and part of it's for good reason. It's not because they're, they're, uh, not good players. It's because we have guys at those positions. It's we've got too many guys at, at one group of positions and not enough guys at another group of positions. And it's just, it's, just, it's a weird team. I kind of look at the schedule and I look, you know, we have Michigan and Indiana coming up again, right off the bat, two teams we played incredibly close. Right. Um, but I almost wonder, and again, I, you know, we'll see, but those teams are like, look, you know, we, we know what their rotation, we really know what their rotation is going to be now in conference play. Um, and I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, it's like, are we going to figure out something? Are we going to be able to make this work? Or are teams that have played us already going to start to, to be able to drill down on these limitations? Like Scuzz said, I mean, I, you know, I feel like with a lot, roster like this, it's all the more easy to isolate law and try to take him out of the equation. But maybe we fight through it. Maybe we'll turn it around. How different do you think you would be if we had Lathan? Oh my God. Don't get me started. Well, but I mean, but do you, do I, you, do you I, really think it would be the difference between like 13 and three and 10 and six or? I, I, cause I think it would be a huge difference. Okay. I, I, I mean, again, 
that's just me. Um, I think Jordan Lathan was a Big Ten caliber starting point guard, and he's—I mean—he's running UTEP right now. And that, again, that's that's apples and oranges. But I believe not only—I believe he'd be starting and playing the vast majority of every game. Um, and I—I I mean, I—you could just run a parallel, kind of like the way Scuzz, i mean, the way uh, Sam brought it up. I think he'd be getting Bryant McIntosh freshman year minutes, which would be to say he'd be playing the vast majority of every game at a position that we don't have a player at right now. Now, again, I, you know, your mileage may vary, but, um, I just, that's my personal opinion. And again, it's like, what can you do? But to me, um, he was a game breaker at the exact position that the lack thereof is crushing us right now. Yeah. Fair, fair. And he, and he's, he's a scorer too, right? Like he's, he's averaging. Right. uh, And he's big, he's big, but he's a big ball handler where it's like Turner is kind of being, I mean, they're similar size. Turner's a little bigger, but Turner is not, you watch him out there and you're like, this is not your job. You're being forced to do something. That's not your skill set. Whereas Lathan, that's, that's what he's built to do. And, you know, we, we do have Michigan coming up uh, over the weekend. Um, you know, we did play them tough in our barn. They've just kept getting better. They're sitting at number two in the country, and we're going to Ann Arbor for that game. So uh, a rough one. Then we have to go to Rutgers, who just uh, upset Ohio State. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, great. Wonderful. And then uh, come home <laughs> to take on Indiana, then at Wisconsin, at Maryland. So, you know, through the end of January, we've got one more home game. And that and that's against Indiana, so we we gotta take big, the act on the road. Big Ten basketball is not going to stop being Big Ten basketball I mean, and wait the, for us to catch up. Big Ten is loaded. I mean, you look at the top twenty-five, and you know Michigan, Michigan State are right up there. Maryland, Indiana, um, and then you know just outside of the top twenty-five, there's like six teams. If you're looking at if you take top twenty-five to top thirty-five, there's most of the Big Ten is there. So, I mean, the conference is stacked. And And it's, it's just, it's, we, our team, again, I keep coming back. Like I just, our team is very talented across the starting five, but there are a lot of other very talented teams that have the balance and just, just figured out, they just figured out what they want to do and how they're going to do it. And we're still, we're not there yet. Yeah. um, There's still time to turn it around, but. You know, conference play has ju- is only just begun, but we got we got to start seeing some W's quickly. Uh, otherwise, this thing could really get off the rails. Uh, before we dig ourselves down too deep into a pit of misery, uh, let's go ahead and and leave it there. Um, I, again, head head over to westlawpirates.com and check out the, this recruiting and development articles that uh, that we have up there. It's really something else. And you know, like I said before. Definitely want to hear feedback. You know, we'd love to hear what you think of uh, of what we're putting out there because you know it, it's it's really really cool stuff. Uh, so you know, make sure make sure you head over there, westlawpirates.com, uh, at westlawpirates on Twitter, westlawpirates on Facebook. Uh, hit us up. Let us know what you think. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, we'd love to get some comments. We'd love to have a couple things because we're going to really bat this, some of that stuff around in detail next week and uh, be a part of it. Be a part of the conversation. 
So that'll just about wrap it up for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com. You can leave comments and questions. Uh, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Westlaw Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. Leave us a message, and uh, we'll play it on the show. Email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John LeCombe and Eric Skazbar, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.